early 21st century, magic reawakened on Earth, and alongside it, a new human race with orcs, elves, trolls, dwarves, and others. Humanity became metahumanity. As technology proliferated and greatly advanced in the awakened world, global megacorporations seized ever more power, becoming de facto states with their own laws, courts, and armed forces. The corporations attempt to control all aspects of modern life. This has led to a vast and complex criminal underground which works for and against corporate interests. The independent career criminals who do what others can't or won't are called Shadowrunners. The year is 2101. Welcome to Fun City. Previously on Fun City, the crew stuck to the shadows even more than usual as a virus which infected the NYPD drone fleet made it unsafe to go outside. They hit the waterways once again when asked to deal with some meddlesome whooshing mages by their once and now once again Johnson Vern Solex, head negotiator for the NYPD police union, which is now on strike and replaced by not one, but two security forces. Lone Star oversees NYPD and city property and Knight Errant provides protection services for the corporations. Vern assures the team there is pavement to pound surrounding Evo's weird experiments, but that there are matters he'd like taken care of first. He asks them to visit the Chaz, an anarchist collective occupying the Carnegie Hill Arcology. He sends them across the city with credentials to pass through Knight Errant-controlled Midtown and with tickets to the last Chaz tour of the evening. Upon arrival, the team encounters a tense scene. A mutual and calm distrust between residents of the Chaz and and Lone Star, assigned to both police and protect the facility. But also, a more overt animosity between Lone Star sheriffs and striking NYPD officers, showing up to the site in droves, shouting, Scab! and Traitor! at Lone Star, and Give It Back! at the Chaz. The team enters the Carnegie Arcology and meets Krista, their peppy tour guide, as well as Rocky and Bullwinkle, her armed Chaz guards. We join everyone now as they embark on their tour, departing from the marble lobby of Carnegie Hall and back outside to the walled garden grounds of the Arcology. She walks between the group of you uh, through the lobby. Her armed protectors, Rocky and Bullwinkle, follow close behind, perfectly silent, in lockstep. And she says, right this way. And she pushes the bar of this big glass door window. And you head onto the Carnegie campus, this time on the other side of the wall, of the brick steel ivy-colored wall in front of you. You see the sort of glare of these bright blue-white streetlights, and you hear again a bunch of the commotion uh, that's happening outside. You hear shouting that wasn't there as you are entering the Chaz. Off-duty NYPD strikers are arriving in greater numbers now, and they are getting in the face of the entire sort of front line, and it has become a true front line now. Uh, a lot of the sheriffs have gathered, uh, and you can see there's even a line uh, going from a large uh, personnel car carrier to the front line, passing these sort of... Uh, <laughs> 
They look to be like rough wooden shields. They're not wood. You can tell by the way that like, you can tell by the way that, that they lifted that this is like a hyper light composite material that's meant to withstand ballistic charges. Um, but they're like painted to look like old wild west wood. And they're, they're, they're passing them up and the Lone Star Sheriffs on the front line are taking them. But you can hear the NYPD strikers yelling at them and they're getting close, almost close enough to knock the hypothetical chip off their shoulder. You leave the relative safety and quiet of the lobby. You see a larger number of uh, NYPD approaching you here, the environment getting a little bit more tense. Krista's like trying really hard. She's just like kind of pretending it doesn't exist. Like it's not like it's not actually happening. She's got a job to do. And uh, she starts to talk to everybody in the tour group. Um, where are you guys in the group? Are you like up front? Are you? TK is solidly in the middle, just trying to blend in with the yeah. group, keeping his eyes peeled. I don't think he thinks anything's going to go wrong, but self-preservation can't can't get away from that instinct. Fair. Like if somebody started spraying bullets into the crowd, he wouldn't be the first one shot, you know? <laughs> that's his that's right. the thought. Lux is towards the back. Um I could see Lux kind of lingering a little bit and peeking into a closet, things like that, so that's why it's easier to be in the back and do that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah, Viv is in the back with Lux. Lash is always unaware of her size and she's towards the front blocking a lot of people in the back <laughs> right. behind her. Nobody else and could see. They keep making comments, like kind of like passive aggressive comments, and she really doesn't get it. She's like, who are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can see fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I think like Krista, maybe, you know, Lash is one of the people that Krista is making sort of fleeting eye contact with as she's talking to the whole group. She's walking around, um, you know, gesturing at the buildings. She's being like, so as you all probably know, the Carnegie Ecology was built when the original Carnegie Hall was moved from its temporary location in mainland New Jersey after the superstructure was completed. It was conceived of as the world's first fine arts arcology, and it has everything that one would need to sustain a complete self-sufficient community without if push really came to shove leaving the grounds and she looks at Lash and she's like she's gonna have like a little moment and she's like though not that you'd want to there is such there's this cute cafe that's down the road and they make just the best soy latte I cannot imagine not getting one every morning I just you know I need my caffeine I mean this woman is positively Mm. vibrating so like it's (laughs) hard to imagine uh, her tired. Lash's but. eyes just open up to try to take in the information and she's like smiling and nodding. Kind of looking around being like, is this a normal way to react to this situation? <laughs> Krista is nodding aggressively and she's like, yeah, you get it. You know what's up. You know what's up, right girl? Right girl? And she goes for a fist bump. <laughs> and Lash does take it. Roll logic to <laughs> yeah. know what to do. Yeah, with no, <laughs> yeah. Lash kind of looks at it. She continues as you are walking around the grounds. The citizens of the Chaz were able to occupy the arcology during a time when it was left disused during the NYPD drone massacres. And thanks to an understanding with the owners, the operations staff, the board of directors, and the director of the arcology himself, we're very hopeful that we'll be able to maintain residence now indefinitely, perhaps even after all of those who call the arcology home normally return to their jobs because we and she like puts her hands together in this like praying motion and she's just fully walking backwards now uh like talking to this group of people taking you down this path in and out of all of these uh sort of like between all of these buildings um through these beautiful little like manicured gardens and things she says because we 
are all about community. We're all about working together, about collaboration. We really believe that we are laying the groundwork for an amazing social and legal innovation uh, for developing co-spatial, non-hierarchical, communal, and self-governed commonwealths for the 22nd century. And we think that we really have a shot to balance power with the state. And I know it sounds crazy, but eventually some of the corporations, but we are a long way from there. Am I right, you guys? Yes, I am. I'm very right. Viv leans over to Luxus. What a hippie. I love I love this. So how long have have you were you one of the the first people to come here? How long have you been here? She looks at Lash and she says, that's a great question. I was very lucky to be amongst the first people who occupied the Chaz. We've only been here for oh a few weeks oh. at this point, uh, but we've we've worked really fast uh, to figure out how to make this place home. Um, we're very lucky. Our board of directors uh, have a lot of resources. Uh, they're really able to help get us up and running very quickly and uh, you know now it's just about uh, now it's just about figuring out what our goals are you know we uh, you know what they say we have figured out how to survive now we figure out how to thrive mm, your board of directors oh so there's a board of directors so they're like they're oh, like yeah. in charge well, I mean, we don't really like to say anyone is, is in mm. charge here, but they're people with a lot of experience. And if we so choose uh, the rest of uh, the community here, the rest of the citizens, we really try to uh, take their advice and their experience for what it's worth. And we're very, very lucky to have them. Uh, you actually might, because uh, it's it's the last, uh, the last tour of the day. Uh, and one of the little things that we do for the last tour of the day is you actually might be able to join some of them later for for a little meet and greet. Uh, I think some of them are going to be around. That is lovely. I hope they have a couple of those soy lattes you talked about while they were there. Oh, oh, ooh, it's a, it's a, it's a little late for one of those, but oh, it would be. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, she's taking you all along this like interior kind of like yard. It's this system of pathways she's going between and under uh, and around all of these buildings and you kind of start to get this sense now that she's done her spiel she's been talking for a little while that the Chaz is it's huge and though you haven't spent many, much time inside of it like it's it's like kind of labyrinthine. It's like, it's kind of maze-like. As your outside view sort of suggested, and now you have confirmation walking in and around and between it, it's not really one big building, but it's many, many smaller structures, all which have been like grafted and attached and glommed on to one another. Like it's, it sort of looks like maybe like an, uh, like an anthill or uh, I don't know what they're called, but like those really complicated things that you can put hamsters in uh, like a habitats habit trails habit trails habit trail habit trail hamster ha i just wrote down hamster castle <laughs> yeah <laughs> we get yeah Great. Uh, oh hold on i'm putting that on my list of hacker names yeah <laughs> yes that's really good so yeah she's w walking backwards she knows her path perfectly uh describing to you lash the board of directors their sort of their non-hierarchical structure she's gesturing at different buildings attached to other buildings talking about when they were originally built when they were brought over here and joined to the arcology and she sort of expertly without looking waltzes through and into this tiny pathway between two buildings
buildings. It's low, it's skinny, and it's dark. And she's describing uh, what they think their goals might be, um, how they're really just getting started. They're very excited about all of these possibilities. When Krista started walking backwards, Lash did slightly turn her body as if she was supposed to turn backwards as well, but she turned back around because she realized that's not that's not how the tour. Lash has never been on a tour before. <laughs> she made eye contact with TK, who just slightly shook his head a little bit and was like, uh-uh, uh-uh. It's all good. You're walking down this dark hallway that's lighting up in sequence as you go down it for what feels like slightly too long when you finally emerge in a yard. It's this wide open courtyard. It's kind of a big big hexagon. It's enclosed by these tall, uh, dark blue walls with no windows in them. And uh, it's lit by these rings of uh, LED strips that are around the perimeter above your head. And when you look up, you can see the night sky 10 stories above through what looks like a very tight net. And she beckons everyone into this courtyard to follow her, and she steps further and further back. This is our first big stop on the tour because it is normally the thing that people have heard the most stories about and that people have the most questions about. And as if on cue, some machinery around the edge of the courtyard whirs to life. You hear something turn on. And in your augmented reality vision, two AR animations, two figures pop into view and begin running towards the group. They appear on the far side of the courtyard and they're these hazy blinking models of like like criminals, like ba bad guys. Uh, they're carrying knives, they're running, and their pathway is following these long, skinny, lighted tracks on the ground of the courtyard. Rocky stands at the terminus of one of the tracks, expert, choreographed efficiency of motion to the max, flips some controls on their gun, turns around and fires, and the left figure completely evaporates. The other one just stands there, waits. Gun, like slung at their side, not touching it, sort of looking at Rocky like not doing anything, motionless, until the remaining figure, the second AR figure, is feet away. And then in a flash, like literally a flash, a bright flash of light erupts from Bullwinkle's fingers. The second figure is gone. Bullwinkle sort of dusts their hands, looks at, smugly at Rocky, who looks very unimpressed. And then Krista goes, the range. This is the range that you have heard so much about. And looking carefully now, like sort of taking in the space, looking at it, you see sort of what looks like um, stalls for weapons training. These are places where people can stand with projectile weaponry and, you know, train for uh, target practice on AR targets. You can see that there's like in a corner, there are some swords and some clubs and some axes hanging on a wall near a patch of dirt that's sort of been worn away. It sort of looks like a little bowl in the ground. And Krista is sort of gesturing at all of this and she says yes, yes it is true that firearms remain illegal in New York State and increasingly across the United Canadian American States and yes it is true if they so desire every resident of the Chaz gets firearm hand-to-hand -hand combat and yes combat magic training if they are awakened it is our goal to balance power with forces much larger than ourselves and while we do not want 
want to use violence, we have to be realistic in that for some conversations, violence is the only language that some people understand. And we look forward to living in a world where there, where that is not the case. She sort of like looks, like tries to make meaningful eye contact <laughs> with a few people. TK raises his hand. Uh, yes, you, sir, in the middle. Uh, yes, I, I am <laughs> in the middle. Do, how, many, how many people live in the Chaz? As of right now, our numbers are unreported and unofficial. Uh, what I can tell you is that there is some couple hundred people who live here. Lash is looking around at the um, kind of uh, like AI and stuff that they have in the yard or the yeah technology they have in the yard. I don't know that any of you have had any experience with any of this technology, but it's essentially a f like an AR firing range. None of you might know this, but like this is common in like uh, security mm. training. It is highly likely that any of the night errant guards that are in the city have interacted with, if not this exact piece of technology, then something very similar to it. Got it. That I think is the is the most uh, notable thing. It looks like there are some like projectors and um, like motion sensing equipment around the perimeter of the wall uh, but it's hard to tell what it's for ostensibly it's for uh, similar things uh, like tracking movement training people to be accurate in some way or another there are no other questions uh also um underneath the range and she like stomps her feet in the dirt you would also find our armory which for obvious reasons i cannot show you but rest assured it is and she does the chef's kiss motion, <laughs> well outfitted with any and all of the resources, both mundane, technological, and awakened, that any of our citizens would need to protect themselves. And she sort of gives like a like a wry look and a kind of gesture to what's happening, um, you know, like back in the direction you came from. I, TK raises his hand again. Hi, it's me in the middle again. How, um, how do you become <laughs> a resident? Uh, that is a very good question. Right now... Applications are closed, but we are holding these tours so that people can understand what we're about and our uh, goals and our resources and, yes, our political ambitions so that when we have clearance uh, to increase the number of residents here uh, at the CHAS and perhaps even grow the amount of space that we have, everybody will be well acquainted with our mission and will know uh, whether or not uh, it would be a good fit for them. And at that point, we will have uh, developed a robust system for making sure that Whoever wants to live here, it's a good match. I mean, TK's, uh, TK is also asking because he's genuinely interested. This is like, this is impressive to him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, do you think, do you think that she, like, is he asking in such a way that he would, that, that would be clear? Yes, I think so. He's, he's being yeah. very sincere. So then I think she fought, then she follows up and she's like, and rest assured that, you know, if you've already gone through the uh, process to get a tour, uh, that as soon as uh, we are able, uh, that we know that we will be able to provide the resources for more citizens, you will be amongst the first people to know. We promise that to you. Great. She tells everyone to turn around. She does that classic tour guide thing of like spinning her finger in the air and points you back out towards that long, skinny hallway. She spins everyone out. You go back the way that you came through that long, dark hallway that lights up as you go through it. She snakes around a few more buildings. You're sort of back outside in uh, this this courtyard area. When you go back outside, you can again hear the sound from the street and you hear the sound from the street change. 
What you were hearing before was a half a dozen scuffles. A half a dozen, you know, like, oh, Michael, what if your mother knew you were here, you dirty scab? Fuck you, you son of a bitch. You know, <laughs> shit like that. Uh, you know, times a dozen. Uh, but I now, thought he was my brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> we grew up in the Staten Island Aquadome together, you jamook. <laughs> you think you're going to just walk in the PBA when this is over? Think again, Michael. That sort of thing. But now the sound has changed. And the reason the sound has changed is because a lot more people just showed up. From the streets, uh, around the corners, up from the elevators running up the columns of the megastructure, from every hole and everything, uh, comes a lot more striking NYPD, off-duty NYPD officers. But they're all wearing dark navy blue shirts and gold armbands on their left arm. This is the same group of people, but they clearly have spoken with each other about something. Namely, when to show up and what to wear when they show up. And as they approach, if you look over the side, if you were to look over the ledge, what think, you would... Uh, yeah, Cri yeah, Krista yeah. will like take you guys inside. She'll be like, okay, like we'll show you more of the facilities. And you're like going up and down some staircases. And I think like you can see some of this stuff maybe through like these like big open windows in the structure. So you're sort of, you know, maybe on the like third or fourth floor looking down and you can see some of an intersection uh, that's, you know, not the one that you arrived at. Uh, it's like, you know, at the, at the rear of the campus, you're seeing some of this stuff unfold. And as this mass of deep navy blue gold armband, you know, you know what cops all look like. They look like potatoes, <laughs> you know, six foot tall potatoes. Um, and uh -huh. they're all approaching, not in a hurry, but they are yelling. And the sound goes from, you know, like college dance to small stadium. And as that crowd approaches from the back, you see a nexus of activity in the people closer to the Lone Star Line. You see a group of people huddled in a circle. They're looking at something. You can see someone's got sort of a flashlight shining on something. And then all of a sudden, that huddle breaks open. And just as the much larger group of organized NYPD strikers joins the rear of the NYPD group in the middle of the original striker group that small little knot of people breaks apart and it's left with maybe the most lithe NYPD striker like they picked the lithest one and <laughs> this guy arches back his body completely extended there's an object in his hand and he pulls it back and then he launches it into the air and it seems to be this sort of asymmetrical mass of like technological objects and as it flies through the air about the size of like a small chandelier like it's strange and as it flies through the air it writes itself and it begins spinning in a much more straight trajectory and when it hits when it reaches when it when it when it's over the lone star line all those little bobbles that were on it all those things that were extending and then spinning helped to propel it and to remain straight like a, like a gyroscope they fly off and each of them pops. And you realize that what you just saw was the application of a cluster smoke grenade. And as as those as they go off, and as the sort of gray mist begins rising from the feet of the Lone Star, you you see all the horses stop and turn, and their barrel-like heads face the NYPD uh, striker protesters. And you hear 
that, in fact, these horses must be equipped with some sort of PA system. And you see that the the the, the sheriff of sheriffs, the Capo de Capi, uh, is uh, uh, on the literally tallest, his name on the tallest <laughs> horse on the tallest horse in the middle of the line. He's whole like he's got his hand up to his sunglasses, uh, uh, and he's he's activating the PA system. And you hear, "Howdy, fuck, <laughs> it's Taurus." Yeah, <laughs> this, oh my god. This, this is the Sheriff General of this battalion of Lone Star Security. We have observed multiple individuals being cognizant regarding the endangerment of bystanders, private property, and the terms of the current Lone Star contract. Under the 2038 Blue Lives Act, we are allowed to use fatal kinetic justice actions to achieve peace <laughs> regarding any Lone Star contract. You are making us fear for our lives. Stop resisting. Stop no. resisting. As this is happening, everyone in the tour is looking at this, including Krista. Like, she's up against, like, this big kind of um, broad picture window. You're looking down at all of this happening. People who are with you are gasping. Krista just turns around. She's kind of, like, stone-faced, and she looks very seriously at everyone. And she, you know, she looks at whoever is up front, whether it's Lash or, you know, some of the elves, you know, some of the other tour goers. And she, she gets this very serious look on her face, sort of concerned. And she says this, this is why we do what we do. This is, this is why our work is so important. Viv puts a hand on the glass and then a hand up slowly while still looking outside. Krista's like, do you have a question? And she knocks very lightly on the glass. How safe are we in here? Oh, extremely, Krista says. She says, this is some of the strongest structural plastic that Seder Krupp has to offer. It is ballistic resistant, scratch resistant, acid resistant. It is, as far as I know, everything resistant. It could probably resist my ex-husband. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and Viv lowers her hand. <laughs> yeah, no one laughed. No, yeah. Uh, TK laughs. Also, he's feeling That's very smug that he's in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a what a downer joke she just made. I know. TK likes this woman for a moment. She looks just bleak and sad. Yeah, TK, TK really likes this woman because she seems like she's ex- insanely sad and also uh, <laughs> is somehow still chipper and you know <laughs> seemingly has the resources of like an armed battalion of two hundred people <laughs> who are trained at her disposal. <laughs> Krista retains, she regains her chipper, chipper exterior. And she says, which is why it's important for us to continue this tour. And she takes you sort of kind of like into the heart of the arcology. And you see like a number of facilities. You see uh, a huge kitchen and a giant facility for food storage. Uh, lots of dry storage, lots of walk-in freezers. You see uh, not directly, but you see the sort of entryways and you see a model of uh, the dormitories that they have. Uh, and she says that there are at this point more than enough to accommodate the number of uh, citizens that uh, call the Chaz home. You see a bunch of classrooms and she just gestures sort of across a courtyard out a window to a number of what she refers to as schools, though, like, it's unclear what she means by that. And, like, it kind of just looks like she's gesturing at one building. Uh, she shows you a small medical facility, basically a tiny hospital within the arcology, and she admits to everyone that, like, this is what we have. It could be a lot better. Like, it, it's, you know, you can't do, like, serious surgery here, but, like, if someone gets hurt, we can help them. 
She shows you uh, exercise facilities, a pool, some recreation facilities, basically like an arcade. There is Lash Air Hockey. She shows you various arts and archives departments, which are obviously, I think any of you would be able to tell, like collections that were made and maintained by the Carnegie Arcology before it was occupied by the Chaz, but which Christina is sort of like breathlessly describing as Chaz resources. You've been walking for a while. Is there anything that you want to ask about any of those locations briefly or no but so lash makes a comment to lux kind of whispered in tone while they're in towards the back of the group saying do we think Vern knew all of these policemen were gonna cause trouble today is there another reason we're here is Vern setting us up i don't think so okay um, i think that if he <laughs> If he wanted to set us up, there would be better ways to do so. We don't really need to engage with anybody outside right now. Yeah, I just I just don't like what's going on down, down there. <laughs> don't love it. No, me neither. Hey, gang. This is Nick from Fun City. I'm reaching out to you today, actually, in confidence. I ask that you not tell any of the rest of the cast or crew on Fun City about this message. We have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Fun City Ventures, and we'd love for you to join. I'm afraid the rest of them are too proud to ask anyone for money or anything like that. And I have gone along with them because I know that they were proud, especially Shannon. Shannon's so proud. She doesn't even like to admit that she pays money for groceries or needs it. Now, here's what I think we could do. If everybody acts like they were trying to go to a different Patreon, maybe Fum, Fum, Fum City Ventures, say, oh, no, we meant to do that. We'll pay. But we meant to do that. I, oh, I actually like the show now. It would help their egos a lot. Now, are we going to have to practice and rehearse? Yes. Are we have to meet every week? Yes, we're going to have to meet every week so we can really convince Mike and Taylor and Bijan and Shannon and Jen that none of this comes from this commercial and it's completely unrelated that you're giving money not to us, but to a different show, but you happen to like it and now you'll, you're fine. Just you don't feel like changing the, the settings or whatever. The truth is that Mike won't even take money from his other jobs. I've been sneaking food into his house for six years. Taylor, poor Taylor. <sighs> He doesn't even wear clothes anymore. So I, I am I'm intervening. Let's get Taylor some clothes. Let's get Mike some food. Let's get Shannon a reasonable car. Her car is so ugly. And Bijan, God knows that poor soul. He's dancing for $5 a, a pop at some silly bar because he doesn't want to make money through Patreon. And he won't tell anybody about it. And he wears a mask, so he thinks nobody knows. But it's... <laughs> It's not necessary because I feel like, well, first off, this whole Fum City thing could totally work. And so we're totally protecting their egos. But even if we ask people to join the Patreon, I don't think it's that big of a deal. You know, like I think that like a lot of podcasts and stuff who people like spend a lot of time and effort on these things. Like I, there's a lot of podcasts I subscribe to and I pay a point on the Patreon. I've, I've told them all of this. None of this is convincing to them at all. They're all extremely proud. Jen is living inside of a big bagel store in Rhode Island, for God's sakes. She's won't take money for any of her stuff. She's inside this giant bagel store in Rhode Island. And it's like, Jen, just take a little bit of money from somewhere. 
And we're hoping, I'm hoping, that this Patreon could be something to just help them. If it's not enough to pay the bills, it'll be enough to let them learn that it's okay to take money if you are giving a lot in return. And speaking of that, what do you get in return for the Patreon? You get discounts for Fun City Live shows, okay? And we're going to be doing more of those now that the pandemic looks like it's getting slightly... There's other things that you get, okay? Bone Cone. We do one-off games, like brutal one-off games, like Morkborg or silly one-off games. We do all kinds of stuff like that. We have Fun City. That's the show that you get for free. We also have Fun Chatty. This is another show where we talk about Fun City. We talk about how bad the world is. We talk about other things, other problems that we have no hope of solving. It's great. And you get access to our Discord. There's nothing not to like. Everybody wins. But please, please show up to rehearsal. It'll be tomorrow. So you've been walking for a while when she stops the group in what feels like maybe the the 15th, 20th, 30th marble lobby that you've seen. Kind of they all start to blend together. You're on a second floor. Um, You you can still look out. You can see some of the commotion. Like the smoke is growing. You can hear some of the commotion uh, continuing and further dispatches from the speaker-mouthed horse robot. And Krista says, okay, we're almost done. Two more stops and they are my favorites. She walks over to one of the walls uh, in this nondescript marble, stately marble lobby. She presses her hand on a portion of it, sort of like head height off to the left of some molding in the middle of this wide panel. And the wall moves like a seam, a tiny little seam separates in it. And it sinks backwards and then it retreats. It sinks into the floor, motorized, uh, like a pocket door that sinks into the floor with this surprisingly dull, very satisfying hum. She turns around and she looks at everyone and she says, I love that part. (laughs) And on the other side of this door that's just disappeared, or this door that's just appeared, um, you see a very short, white, glowing hallway that goes to nowhere. There are no doors in the hallway and it ends maybe about 20 feet into the wall. The floor is white marble. The left wall is steel. The ceiling is recessed, diffuse white lighting. And Krista beckons everyone, walking backwards again to follow her into this weird hallway. And as you walk in, you see the right side of it is perfectly clear, two foot thick panels of structural plastic, which forms the open window of what you're standing inside of, which is a raised kind of viewing platform that looks down into a server room, a huge server room. There are hundreds of racks of computers, each rack eight or so feet tall, spaced evenly and full completely with technology, blinking and whirring away. The room is immaculately clean. It is brightly lit. The the floors glow white. The ceilings are very tall. You're sort of up towards the ceiling in the viewing platform. And you see lots of cabling and you can't tell, but you can just sort of feel it is cold in there. This is one of our most 
prized possessions. When the original board conceived of the arcology here, they wanted to give artists access to the kind of computing power normally reserved just for corporations. And now, as occupants of the arcology, we have access to one of the largest privately held non-corporate processor arrays in the world. This affords us not just creative freedom in the pursuit of making arts and culture, which we are very invested in, but also financial freedom in the automatic management of our economic resources, and as well as lots of important legal capabilities. So I want to do a quick aside here and explain how law works briefly in 2102. <laughs> briefly. At this point, the U.S. code is literally billions of pages with a B. The law of the United States is growing in complexity and always growing in complexity. And this is um, on purpose, uh, that essentially the corporations have figured out a way to make this the case. That they've basically used setting precedent as a kind of like DDoS for the legal system. Like with carve-outs, exceptions, circumstances concerning jurisdiction, this and extraterritoriality, that. That like in order to understand law... At this point, it's it's only possible to do it with a machine. It is only drafted, written, and checked by very powerful pieces of machinery, of artificial intelligence. Signed by humans, you know, like lawmakers still sort of go through the pageantry of like signing a law in. Um, but like for the most part, in order to do anything meaningful with law, to interact with it, to meaningfully know about it, to use it, to understand it beyond being just a subject of it, you can only do so through extremely powerful technology. Meaning in a way, like every lawyer that you would know is kind of like a like a very accomplished computer scientist. And so that's what Krista means when she points at this powerful array and she says that this helps us have legal capability. That this means that they can use the computing power that they have at the arcology to like do the law that they need in order to figure out how to legally occupy the space that they have. Does that make sense just like in our world? I yeah. fucking love that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love it. <laughs> And so she she says this, and she sort of like is looking reverently at it, uh, and it's just kind of like quiet. Um, and it is like kind of mesmerizing to watch. Just like do you hear a dull whir? There's like nice blinking. The room is very satisfyingly laid out. It's clean. The, even the cable runs look nice. It's very good. Just so I have the the visual layout in my head correctly, the server room is on the same layer as the armory. Uh, I don't think you know at this point. Oh. I think that you... They're would both, like, down, though. You would probably have the rough sense that the server room is in, like, the heart of a building, um, whereas you would have the sense that the armory is underground. Got it. Uh, so, like, they are both protected in a way, but the armory, it's earth, and the server, it's, like, sort of in the middle of a building. And at this point, you've been moved around so much, you're, like, not even really sure which building it is anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So she turns around and she says, okay, if there are no more questions, we will go to our last stop. And she leaves the hallway. And once everybody's gone, uh, she pushes her hand up against the wall again. And that secret pocket door closes. And uh, she turns around and she goes to a fire door that's in this marble hallway. And uh, she opens <laughs> she opens up this door and uh, she makes like uh, she makes like a chugga 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 choo choo. 
noise as she unveils a stairwell. Uh, This is just like an industrial stairwell. And she starts walking up the stairs. And if you guys follow, you just walk up eight flights of stairs. By the time you get to the top, you're all kind of like sweaty and tired. Yeah. You instantly feel reinvigorated when Krista opens the Mike, top Mike, you're door. clapping like Krista now. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you're hit with this wave of like fresh, cold air. You realize you're outside. You are on the roof of the, arco- of the arcology. And it is beautiful. It looks like someone dropped a bucolic country farm onto the top of this building for two square blocks for thousands of feet in every direction around you. You see wildflowers, vegetable crops, squash, tomatoes, all lit by grow lights, by work lights, by diffuse, sort of like those diffuse uh, working balloon lights, paper lanterns. In the distance, you even see a greenhouse and off to the left, a chicken coop with real chickens. So you know that these people... Mean business. Eat real eggs? Holy shit. Um, the floor under your feet is soft. It feels like it's dirt. You see irrigation technology lining a lot of the plots and boxes. And unlike most of the other places that you've been where, you know, it's pretty quiet. People's work day is over. There aren't many citizens around. People are up here. Uh, they're hanging out. Uh, they're sort of like chilling. Some of them are working, uh, harvesting some crops. Some of them are planting and watering. Some of them are even, Viv, you might find this particularly interesting, and chanting things. You can see someone in the near distance passing an arm over this long, skinny plot and conjuring some light yellow mist which settles on these green vines. And then in an instant, they just sprout uh, some small yellow fruit. And Krista just kind of like is standing there, you know, with everybody around her just kind of like taking this in. You are snapped back to reality when you hear the clang, 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 clang of a quadrupedal metal drone jumping from its hiding place and running down the length of the ledge uh, at the edge of the building. Uh, And as you turn, when you hear that sound, you turn and you see its long snout of a barrel uh, point up to the sky with like, like lightning efficiency, put up to the sky and fire, whap, as a large, well, medium-sized net unfurls from the end of the mounted gun on this thing and snags out of the air one of those smoke grenade cluster bombs, uh, uh, encasing it uh, in, in a quickly developing sort of a goo mass that that, <laughs> that protects you from what this would have done to the top of the building. Uh, and you can see now as you look out that direction over the ledge of the building, there's a lot more smoke and you can feel it in your lungs now, that acrid burn of inhaled pepper from chemical agents down below. Do you want to go see what's happening? Yes. Yeah. yeah. There is much more smoke now. Uh, on both sides of the line, there are six, seven, eight spots where smoke is coming up. Is something on fire or is it chemical gas? There's no way to tell from up here. Uh, but wherever you see smoke dotted amongst either sides of the line, uh, the Lone Star side or the striking NYPD side, uh, there are people gathered around it trying to put it out and to stop it. The Lone Star side is being more successful than the NYPD. And yet, perhaps that reason is because the NYPD strikers are completely focused on one thing. And that thing is this. The situation's changed since you saw it last. The NYPD strikers are now moving as a mass 
like a wave hitting the beach, pushing forward into the Lone Star Line. The Lone Star Line, a, a horizontal phalanx of these ballistic uh, faux wooden shields uh, held together by rows of Lone Star Sheriffs, three men deep. Uh, they, are they, they are strong. They are maintaining the line, going only back a few inches when they're pushed. But there's a sea of former NYPD officers led by the ones in the navy blue and the armbands pushing, heave, ho, and they're shouting. And you can hear the chants, stop resisting, give it back. And they push, stop resisting, give it back. And you can see that the ones in the back that aren't pushing, they're pointing and they're pointing up at you. They're pointing at Chaz. You got 120 Lone Star, right? Uh, in a line supported by uh, behind them, the, the overseers on the robotic horses. And you now you have hundreds and hundreds of striking NYPD officers led by this organized group that came a little bit later. There are no civilians in sight. There are no Chazers in sight. If anyone was down there before, they have left to go find cover. Stop resisting, give it back. And then they push and somebody somewhere must have tied their shoe not quite tight enough today because right in the middle of the Lone Star line, somebody slips right at the wrong second and the line breaks. <gasps> at first, it's just one NYPD officer gets in the middle uh, and the Lone Star behind him immediately grab him. The, the line breaks. And so now a few NYPD officers are getting through and they're trying to widen that gap in the Lone Star. And, and you can hear orders being shattered from, from the men on horses. But when that line breaks, you hear the one voice of the guy you heard before over coming through the mouths of all the robotic horses. All right, boys, let's show them how we do it down El Paso way. <laughs> the robotic horses rear up. And from their cannon faces, fires, each of their barrel faces explode forth. And you see, like, these glinting gossamer webs, thousands from each face of the horse, shoot out, and they stick into all the NYPD riding officers. Uh, and you immediately recognize that sight. You have seen this a million times. They're tasers, thousands of them out of each horse. Each horse, at the same time, ignites the current. You can see the sparks like a Jacob's ladder arcing between the different lines as the first, as like the first, like a row, the like first wave, the dozen deep of NYPD officers, half of them are electrocuted. You hear screams and groans. A little bit of smoke begins to rise from some of the bodies, but it looks like Lone Star has regained control for now. Oof. Viv is like slowly with a mouth agape looking down and then slowly turns to look at Krista. No one has looked at her yet except for you. And she looks horrified. She looks like she doesn't know what to do. Like she's scared. And she looks like confused. It's like all of these emotions sort of just flashing across her face all at once. And then she sees that you've seen her and she just locks it down immediately. And she, she smiles and she uh, arcs her eyebrows and she claps a little bit. Uh, um, she's like behind everyone. You know, she's, she's been looking, but she has now made a little bit of distance. And she says quietly, <clears throat> um, shall, we, uh, um, shall we wrap up? Uh, so that we can enjoy the rest of our evening uh, wherever we might like to do that. Uh, 
Hmm? Some people leave the tour. They yeah. <laughs> go. They go. And I think that at this point, like, you know, that maybe has been happening and that you are, you're not the only people left on the tour, but there's easily only maybe half the number of people that you started with. And Krista kind of like struggles through the last bit. She gestures behind her at the farm, this rooftop farm, this beautiful farm. She's like, this um, is our pride and joy. We are able to, she's like trying to keep it together and you can tell she's trying to like remember her script. We are able to produce most of the food that we eat here at the Chaz and we are working on making this the most efficient farm in the city. Depending upon who you ask, uh, this is either the second or first most important asset uh, in our claims to sovereignty. It is, of course, the biggest symbol that we have. She points at her little patch on her hat. Of our commitment to our community, she, like, sort of pauses and looks out uh, in the direction of this uh, altercation that's happening outside, and our commitment to trying where we can to build a better future. She like seems kind of defeated. Lux raises his hand. Uh, she, she says like, as if you've rescued her, she's like, yeah, uh, yes, sir. Yes. I'm sorry. When the police say, give it back. Are they talking about the Chaz? Yes. Uh, there is a, um, There's a kind of detente uh, that has happened with us and the city legally uh, because the owners and the normal residents of this facility uh, have not pressed charges and do not want us to leave. Technically, we can be here. I think for a lot of political reasons, the city doesn't like us here. They send Lone Star. Some people would say to protect the neighborhood. Some people would say to threaten us. There is a segment of the former police force that thinks we should be violently evicted. And there is growing frustration that Lone Star doesn't just do that. When the police strike ends and they're making the call, what's going to stop them from taking the Chaz back? That is a challenge that we will meet when we face it. Okay, well, I'm on your side. I just don't know who's going to make that call before people start dying. She looks supremely uncomfortable. (laughs) And Viv just raises a hand. Excuse me, how will we leave this area? She claps again and she's like, now the Chaz, uh, ignoring your question, will close to visitors (laughs) in about 30 minutes. So if you would like to explore the garden, uh, please feel free. You may have a snack or two if you would like. Just please don't take anything. uh, Please don't take any more than you would need. And if you have any questions about our mission or or our plans for the future, you can ask me, or, she gestures at Lash, you can ask some of our board members as they are here for the last tour. Uh, They have been very kind to stick around, and she kind of, like, points at this, like, small group of smartly dressed people off in a corner that are standing around this wooden table that's got a bunch of, like, drinks and snacks on it. And they mostly look, um... 
they look kind of like a cross between dour and scared. Like they don't really know what they're doing here and like why they've chosen. But like, this is clear, like, you know, this is their life's work in a way. So like they kind of have to be, uh, you know, like the captain doesn't leave the sinking ship. Not that the ship is sinking. This is a bad analogy. You know what I'm trying to say? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They look mostly sort of dour, like kind of nervous, but uh, they're there. Uh, They're dressed mostly in black. They have, they're clearly kind of wealthy. Uh, They're older, but they all have uh, the smooth faces of people who haven't worried too much in their lives, (laughs) except for one person who's in the group, a short, uh, darker skinned, older woman uh, with black hair who is wearing a gray suit. She's got very deep lines around her mouth and eyes this is, without question, Odina Lulach. Wow. For anybody who maybe doesn't remember, because it was a while ago, you met with Odina back in Morgantown, where she is a board member. Morgantown, similarly, a kind of strange communal collective. Odina is a lawyer. Odina is the lawyer that Vern asked you initially to dissuade Um, from causing him trouble when he was trying to get the strike cleared by the city because legally police are not allowed to strike. So he had to do some fancy politicking in order to get that to work. And Odina was the large roadblock uh, that stood in the way. You convinced her to leave him alone. Krista gestures at the board and then leaves just like doesn't say goodbye she just she she's like you can ask the board they're here they would love to talk to you and then she just goes back to the door that you entered this roof in and and is out of here odina is with her colleagues she's talking to them she has not noticed you you are free to do whatever you would like at this moment viv goes to the snack table and is there are there drinks uh yeah there's uh some like uh uh, you know soy rum soy wine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she grabs one and uh, kind of circles the garden. It's, I mean, except for the riot downstairs, it's ve- it's beautiful here. It's extremely peaceful and very, very well tended to. But also, like, you sort of, it start, sort of starts to dawn on you kind of like what Krista meant when she was like, we can't take anyone because we don't know if we have the resources She's saying that this feeds everyone. You're like, whoa, like that's a lot of work. And like, it's not a ton of food. And their numbers are unofficial, but like she said, like maybe it's a couple hundred people. Like, yeah, this could feed a couple hundred people. Nice. Like, wow. But also, man, this will just barely feed a couple hundred people. Mm. Now that you're sort of like getting the scope of it and seeing what it all is and how much work people are investing in it. Um, Luxie said Odina is speaking with some people, so he kind of uh, waits around until she's done speaking with them and then um, walks over to uh, speak with her. Yeah. Oh, you uh, make it sh- sound so easy. <laughs> okay. Or that's I try a, that to. Is a, that, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm making it like that's – I have fucked up that move so many times of like, <laughs> how long do you wait? What if they don't see you? What if they do see <laughs> Did they see me? Are they deciding right. not to talk to me? But they did see, or did they genuinely not see me? And I'm the weird one. I just love that Lux can just navigate yeah. this. Yeah. I thought you, I thought you were calling me out for like you don't no. even want to roll for it, Nick. I'm like I can roll, I can roll, no, we can roll. I love I love to live vicariously. Through yeah, no, just that you, you, Nick, and then as a as a character, Lux feel comfortable approaching people. Yeah. yeah. For 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 me, my number one and my number two are number one is this person has no idea who I am, and then number two is. I think I know their name. And even though I'm positive, I know their name. What if somehow that's not yeah. their name? Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but Lux, 
experiences none of that. <laughs> you approach Odina uh, after she's done with a conversation. She's um, re-pouring herself a drink. She sees someone uh, coming up to her and she turns and she looks at you. Her face does not change. She looks you in the eyes and she says, well, look what the cat dragged in. Lux, uh, it was. <laughs> yes, Odina, it is Lux. How are you doing? She sort of looks over her shoulder. Uh, some of the like tear gas is starting to crest over the lower portion of the roof that is 10 stories above. It's kind of starting to smell, uh, as Taylor described, like acrid. But uh, she looks at you and she says, all things considered, I'm tired, busy, but fulfilled. How are you? Uh, you know, it's been a while since being out and... Yeah. What, are your friends here? Uh, sorry, your co-workers, your colleagues here. And she starts looking out uh, like sort of around the rooftop farm. Yeah, Viv makes eye contact from across the garden, raising her glass, but also showing that she has no weaponry or no intention of fighting. Odina looks at Lux and says, ah, yes, nonviolent protection. Absolutely. Is, is this a, a normal week um, weeknight for you? Here at the Chaz? I wish that I could say that it was not. It is certainly more tense than the last several weeks have been, but we had our suspicions that something like this would eventually happen, and we are as prepared as we could uh, for some of these events to occur. Do I wish that things were otherwise? Yes, um, absolutely. Do I think that this will impede the work that we're doing here in any way? No. Well, when you've got hundreds of angry cops outside chanting, give it back, the first thing I think is, why am I here? Um, what's this all for, Odina? Yeah, that's a good question, Lux. Why are you here? Oh, well, I'm here to take the tour and see how this place is run. I was asking you, why are you here? And <laughs> what is the what is the grand goal of all of this? I think TK overhearing this looks at Lux and looks at Odina and then walks to the bar and orders a drink. <laughs> um, she's going to try to judge your intentions. Uh, so oh, okay. you can roll con or negotiation. Uh, four. Okay. Uh, Odina got nine. Nice. <laughs> Whoa, Odina. She looks at you and she says, while it might be the case that you were here for the tour, you and your friends are not the kinds of people who just go somewhere for the tour. Oh, yes, yes. Um, Vern wanted to know how dangerous you guys were. Um, uh, <laughs> we feared it. We're here to check that situation out for him, but we can be as discreet as, as you'd like. I'm actually genuinely interested in what's going on here and what the ultimate goal is. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Uh, you're still working with Vern. Yes, we are. How is Vern? Well, you know, I think he's been busy, but as they get their feet back underneath them, I think he wants to get a lay of the land of what it's going to be like to have a working police department. Uh, again, in this city, um, someday. And how I feel like I know how Vern f feels. He got what he wanted, and she gestures sort of behind her. I don't know that this is what he intended, but I can't imagine he doesn't enjoy some aspect of it. But how are you all f finding the strike? How do you feel about this? 
Oh, man. Um, well, I think that we all have arrived at uh, in a world much more complicated, dangerous, armed, hard to get around than we did before the strike. I could say that. In a lot of ways, I think I owe you a thanks. Oh, really? If not for the power vacuum that the strike caused and the momentary lapse in operations management that the corporations underwent while they were sorting their night errant contracts, we would not have had the opportunity to occupy the Carnegie Arcology. I say we. I did no occupation. I was brought on as legal um, advice. But the people who I work with, the people here, and whose goals and aims I very much believe in, would not have had the opportunity. I struggle with whether or not, on balance... It will be a positive, but I think that that's something that we're building towards. So anyways, I bring it up just to say, I think it's good to see you. It is good to see you, Odina. Before you give me credit for this, I'd like to make sure that I actually want it. i am got to be honest, I'm a little bit worried for you, Odina. Do you feel safe here? Well, it is not home yet, but I have great expectations that very soon it will be. And me and my colleagues and all the people who work here are working very hard to provide a model for something that people can believe in. The press is very difficult, very hard on us, that it is unclear what we want, that our ultimate demands are diaphanous, uh, that uh, we don't have uh, clear goals. And as of right now, we just consider our goal to live and to live in a way that shows people that other things, other ways of living are possible. You do not have to be subject to, and she gestures out uh, what's happening 10 stories down, this. Odona, I, um, I don't know you well, but I do know that you've spent much of your life helping people who are often without resource, who have been taken advantage of, and you do it for free or almost nothing. So I think your heart's in the right place, but I got to ask you, when the strike ends and these police have the authority to come in and charge in this place, or even before the strike ends and they just do it, how can you trust the person or people in charge to make the call about who dies and who doesn't who uses arms and who doesn't um, against the, the tide that is certainly rising. Our hope and our plan is that before that happens, we have established a strong enough legal case that it would be, um, let's say, unwise for the NYPD Incorporated to cause any kind of physical trouble. Will we be successful? It depends. Viv wanders over from the garden, just politely interrupting, saying, Hello, Miss Lulock. Vivian. <laughs> Are there any more of your fellow board members here? Um, she looks around, and all of you maybe at this point notice the crowd up here is pretty thin. <laughs> <laughs> um, most people have decided that it's time, that, like, it's time to leave. And the only people that you see are, there are a number of people who are working. There's fewer of them now, but there's still people who are up here working on the farm. 
You also notice that Rocky and Bullwinkle are still here. Uh, they are just on either side of the door that you entered uh, onto the onto the the rooftop farm from. Uh, they're not really interacting. They're just kind of like standing guard. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, you don't, you know, there's there's no other, certainly no more uh, board members around. The other thing that as you're looking around, you kind of like start to notice is like, in addition to the shouts from below, which like have subsided as it seems like Lone Star has maybe gotten control of uh, some of the NYPD officers that were causing them trouble. Um, like there's a new sound that's emerging from down there now. And it's, it's like this weird uh, humming noise. Not from down below. Oh no. <laughs> Suddenly, <laughs> it, you know, like your brain kind of places the humming down below, but then you realize it's kind of coming from everywhere. And then all the anxiety you have felt over the last year and a half, every nightmare you had, everything just sort of comes back and you can feel that sort of ice stab of adrenaline begin to work its way up from the bottom of your diaphragm up your spine. It's drones. Mm-mm. Thousands mm-hmm. of them. It's probably too many. The sky suddenly becomes a little bit grayer as too high, too high above the Chaz for the autonomous drone net uh, throwers to catch any. There comes from almost every direction drones. Now, if you were to, if you were to take your little robot cyborg eyes and zoom in up there, you would see that on the bottom of each drone is a little fluttering yellow tag. And if you were to read that tag, it would say, this drone has been certified as safe. Mm by New York City Police Department Incorporated. Uh. However, due to an abundance of caution, we ask that you remain six feet away from the drone, <laughs> just in case. Winky face, badge, blue. <laughs> but Did you say winky in- face, back the blue? <laughs> <laughs> winky, fa- winky face, badge emoji, blue line flag uh, emoji. Um, which by that, at that time, it's, you know, it's not even new, That's it's horrible. old. It's like a- it's like the don't tread on me flag. It, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just, it's just up there. Uh, that sucks. It yeah. sucks. It totally sucks. It sucks so much. Yeah. Because at least the don't tread on me flag is, is legitimately a cool flag, but it's like used by, <laughs> um, assholes. The blue lives matter flag is just oh, it's all the a same lame goddamn flag thing. used all- by assholes. I just think, I just think that the snake looks cool. <laughs> well, I mean, I totally agree with you Thank about you. that. Snakes are sort of inevitably always going to be cooler than just any sort of signify, uh, referent less signifier. What well, anyway, look. Agree. You look up, you're terrified. Everyone is shitting their fucking pants. Is it happening again? But no, you see that these are not police drones. These are not enforcement drones. Some of them might have a gun or two. They're <laughs> camera drones. The media has arrived. Oh. And the, the drones waterfall over your heads over the edge of the jazz and then begin to hover and fly a giant undulating waving swarm above the heads of the Lone Star sheriffs and the the out of work NYPD strikers Uh, the drones are colliding and knocking each other out of the sky as they jostle for better uh, camera position you know like they have very aggressive sort of swarming technology because they're all in competition with each other some of of them definitely get snatched by the the automated system on the side of the chest absolutely and then 
then you see a duplicate drone come right over. Because, hey, look, why send one when you can send 10 for the price of 20? And there they are. Every, every fucking blogger, every goddamn vlog, every, 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 every log, blog, vlog, and slog. Baby, it's all there represented. Mm-hmm. Every trip, vid, mid, and skid. Oh yes, my yes. gosh. The, 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 your trids, your bids, your trids. I hate it. Uh, I hate they're it. all there. And, and, and they're going nuts. You hear Odina yeah. under her breath go, Oh no. I think, uh, I think TK is going to down his drink and say to no one in particular, I think that's our cue to leave. <laughs> but other than the drone swarm, it is suspiciously quiet down there. And as the drones begin to find their places and to sort of calm down a little bit, you can sort of see through them. We can see through a, a, a forest of sparse trees. And you see that the Lone Star Phalanx has maintained the line. But now, instead of just holding shields, the third person back from the shield now has the quintessential brand identifier of Lone Star ever-present laser rifle. Just as the Spartans would put their shield, the, the, their spears between the shields of their brothers in the front, so too have the Lone Star Sheriffs now placed their laser rifles to draw a bead on the crowd of NYPD officers. And the NYPD, the boys in blue are also suspiciously still. And you can see through the scrum of the drones that there is a sort of, not a kerfuffle, but there's people moving. Oh, 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 it's very, oh, it's easy to see. Someone's got like a milk crate or something out there, like a box or something. Uh, Occasionally someone throws a rock, you know, and someone lifts up a shield to stop it. But most of it's still, and someone's standing on a, someone's like getting up above the crowd. Uh, It's no one you know, but it looks like an authority figure. This guy hasn't seen like physical action in a while, but he's got the gray in his mustache that paints to you this is the potato in charge. Ah. <laughs> yes. And sure enough, you don't even know the where the spud. sound's coming from. Someone must have speakers down there. But but this, <laughs> the big spud, baby. But this guy's also got a navy blue shirt and a gold armband. Uh, and he lifts up a little microphone. And you can hear some whatever speakers that someone, but you can hear that, that, that quintessential ear. And uh, 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 a hush falls over. This There is no more violence. The leader of the NYPD incorporated group, the rioters, is about to speak. But the Lone Star boys are uneasy. This is more than they expected. They're outnumbered. And if they know, if this guy says charge, they're probably toast. Regardless, you know, there's only a finite number of shots those horses can make, right? There's only so many laser rifles. And so you can see them shaking. You can see them jittering. Their back leg can't quite find the right footing. They keep drying their hands on their pants and putting them back on the laser rifle. And then you hear the first words. My fellow citizens of New York. What happens next is hard to describe. Because no one alive today has ever seen a laser rifle vaporize a human head. Oh. Oh my God. The head potato is baked. Bullwinkle speaks from the side of the door to Odina and says, Ma'am, I think it's time to go inside. Screams erupt from the streets below. This this is not this is not the organized chanting you heard before. This is rage. It is justified rage. It is not political. It is primal. And as the sea of strikers pushes forward, the line breaks. The, the, the strange, fast, like electrical pop of laser rifles is going off. And then 
from the mass of charging navy blue shock troops comes the classic American blood red popcorn ratatat of machine gun fire as the wave breaks the line and reaches the front doors of the Carnegie Hill Autonomous Zone. Hey, Odna? Yes, Lash. If anyone asks, we're a soccer team. Fun City. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, get access to bonus one-off episodes, our bi-weekly post-episode chat show, Fun Chatty, and our Discord, head on over to patreon.com forward slash funcityventures. And of course, thanks to all of our current patrons for help keeping this ship afloat. Hi, I'm Bijan Steven, and you can find me online at Bijan Steven, B-I-J-A-N-S-T-E-P-H-E-N, on Twitter and Twitch. On Instagram, I'm Bijan Cakes, B-I-J-A-N Cakes. I'm Jen De La Vega. I play Vivian Lakewood, and you can find me online at Randwitches. Hey, this is Nick Gersio. I play Lux Scythe, and you can find me online at N Gersio, G-U-E-R-C-I-O, on Instagram, and at Nicholas Gersio on Twitter. I'm Shannon O'Dell. I play Lash Goodbog, and you can find me on social media at Shodell, at S-H-O-D-E-L-L. I am Taylor Moore, and I play all the bad guys, I think. Is that how it works? It's not clear. You can follow me online at taylor.biz. And my name is Mike Rugnetta. I am your GM. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube at Mike Rugnetta. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Fun City Ventures. Fun City was recorded in Taylor's kitchen in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. It was produced by Taylor, edited by Sam Grant, and sound designed by me, Mike Rugnetta. Pixel Riffs is a rooftop garden in a police riot. Fun City's music is by Sam Tyndall. Our art is by Tess Stone. Our Discord mods are Olivia Goulin, Kelly McHugh, and Kit Pulliam. And the voice of Artemis is Molly Templeton. 